0: Block Hope Radio.
1: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed
0: to better serve the planet.
1: Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 30th, 2015. And I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Slavendar and Anastasia. We are happy to announce our next crystal quest to Arkansas, October 11 through 17th, 2015. We're gathering members of the Crystal Soul Group, which is identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either 25, 26, or 27 degrees of Capricorn or Cancer, Aquarius or Leo, Taurus or Scorpio. If you feel the call of the crystals but aren't sure if you have the required star markings, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com. With your birth info, make sure you include the date, time, place, and your current location. And I'll take a quick look at your charts to see if you're part of this soul family and send you more details if you are. We've got a surprise for you this evening and one for us too. Because of a scheduling issue, our guest, Dr. Samantha Collins won't be able to join us tonight, but we're looking forward to having her on the show in the near future. So we're going to revisit an interview with Lavendar that was aired about six months ago, and even if you heard it, I'm sure you'll get more clarity with another listen. Over the course of working with Starseeds, there have been many questions that we've been asked, and those answers would be helpful for everyone. So this interview between Lavendar and myself contains a lot of information from Lavendar's vault, that will help illustrate the galactic big picture. There is information for all levels of starseeds and an interesting synchronicity is that we recorded this during the Teton meetings in January and now you'll have it again as the July Teton meetings start tomorrow. At the top of the show it's the Starseed News with Anastasia bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And special thanks go to Tammy, as always, for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page. Just look for the cloud icon with an arrow on it. If you'd like to support our show, click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for Starseed Hotline is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you would like an interpretation of that, um, order a stage two with either Lavendar or myself. And please allow plenty of time, about six weeks before your birthday, to make sure that you get it in time. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with the Starseed News.
0: Good evening, Ariel. It's so good to be with you.
1: And I'm so and, glad you made it in
2: here.
0: Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's becoming such a technical, I don't know what, um, roulette here that I'm always rejoicing when I finally do get through. So I am so happy to be here tonight. And uh get right under the news, we've had a quiet sun. You know, a couple weeks ago it was really busy. We were getting a lot of uh, uh, CMEs and and radio blackouts and stuff. But right now, solar activity has returned to its low levels. Uh, They say that there are no sunspots actively flaring. The SENS X-ray output is flatlining. But tonight, we are going to have the most marvelous sky show. The two brightest planets in the night sky are converging for a spectrum. Spectacular close encounter. Oh gosh, everybody, try to get out and take a look at this because tonight Jupiter and Venus will be just a fraction of a degree apart. It's going to form a pair of stars so bright that you can see them even before nightfall. It's going to be spectacular. So do try to get out there and take a look at that. Maybe some of you that are good with night photography can get some photos. It's going to be really, really great. If you don't have clouds in the sky, this is the night to to record this wonderful thing. It's going to be gorgeous. Well, North Korea is suffering the worst drought, they say, in 100 years. They say that there is extensive damage to agriculture right during its main planting season. The official Korean Central News Agency said the drought has caused about 30% of its rice paddies to dry up. Both North and South Korea have had unusually dry weather this year. Thirty percent of the rice paddies in a poor country can be very difficult later on. Well, the water reservoir formed by Hoover Dam Dam has dropped to a record low. Speaking of droughts, the largest capacity reservoir in the United States has hit its lowest water level in history following those years of severe drought in the West. Now, this drought has dramatically reduced flows from the Colorado River. Officials have said that Nevada's Lake Mead, which is a 79-year-old reservoir created by the massive Hoover Dam, registered 1,074.98 feet above sea level uh, just today, but was unable to, was able to rot, not today, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm goofing this up a little bit, it was last Tuesday. Uh, By Wednesday, however, it was able to rise above the critical mark of 1,075 feet. Now, why is this important? What is the references that we hear about the critical mark of the water levels uh, on Lake Mead? Well, it's because a water level of below 1,075 feet by January of next year is going to translate to federal mandated water cutbacks in 2016 for Arizona and Nevada and possibly other western states. It is just a fraction above that at the moment. Now, you know, officials are continuing to assure people that they don't think that, in fact, some of them are saying there's minimal chance that there will be water cutbacks. But it seems to me that we would need a great deal of rain or at least an average amount of rain to assure that that doesn't happen. Um Anywho, it's it's a rather serious situation out west with this drought continuing, and they're really keeping an eye on that, uh, that water level in the reservoir, whether or not it's going to drop below that mandated 1,075 feet. We shall see. We are always talking about volcanoes on this show because volcanoes are always erupting. Well, Indonesian authorities yesterday, and this was yesterday, not last week, <laughs> raised the alert alert level after Mount Rang in East Java erupted. It caused ash to land in the surrounding villages. Now, the eruption was heard 20 kilometers away. They say that aside from Mount Rong, other volcanoes for which Indonesian authorities have raised alert levels are Mount Karangatang, as well as Mount Sopotan and Mount Lokan. So Indonesia is rocking and rolling. They've got lots of volcanoes uh, showing disturbance. And in southern Pakistan, we have had a devastating week-long heat wave that has killed 1,233 people. Now, out of those people, uh, out of those that have not uh, perished from this, 65,000 of them have suffered from heat stroke. Officials say the temperatures during this heat wave are the hottest the country has seen in 15 years. They say that the temperatures finally came down to 93 degrees Fahrenheit after reaching 113 degrees Fahrenheit a week ago, which caused chronic power outages and forced many people to spend nights outdoors. And as you are probably well aware, in very humid climates like Indonesia, that kind of heat is just horrendous. They say a heat wave a few weeks ago killed 2, 000, over 2,000 people in neighboring India. So that part of the world is really roasting at the moment. Very, very hot. And there's been some severe weather in Red River Valley, North Dakota. You might have heard about this on the mainstream news. At least 16 tornadoes hit the Red River Valley this last Saturday. And yes, I said 16 tornadoes, along with huge hailstones that measured up to three inches in diameter. Now, amazingly, no injuries or structural damages from these tornado touchdowns were reported. But of these 16 tornadoes, there was one F2 with winds of 120 miles per hour. And speaking of winds, we had more winds in Phoenix as it was slammed with high winds and dust storms. They say that this was just over the weekend. Metro Phoenix residents were slammed by wind and dust as the first pair of monsoon season storms rolled right on through. Strong winds knocked out power to thousands of customers in Phoenix, in fact, across the Tire Valley on Saturday. They say some people endured triple-digit heat with no air conditioning while outside trees were felled or stripped of foliage. And in Illinois... A man named Rod has survived being struck by lightning for the second time in his life. Lightning struck a tree four feet away from Mr. Rod, and the current traveled to his boots, left him flat on his back. In fact, his wife found him crawling on all fours with the sense uh, knocked out of him. Really a tragic incident, and just a reminder for all of us that when thunder roars, head indoors. Uh, lightning strikes uh, millions of times on the planet uh, in a day, lots and lots of lightning strikes, and really we can get very casual about it and not think much about it. I was outside not too long ago and saw a young man standing under a tree in a lightning storm talking on his cell phone. So when lightning is out and about, even when thunder is out and about, uh, go inside. They say that lightning can strike up to 10 miles away from the storm. So, when thunder roars, head indoors. Well, one of my favorite stories tonight is about uh, a scientist that have invented something that's absolutely going to amaze all of you. There's been a groundbreaking news study published in Scientific scientific reports which is a periodical that has found a green solution to the light bulb dilemma you know i've talked about light bulbs on this show before yeah my concerns about the mercury light bulbs and so on yes well get this honestly i this is for real indian researchers have discovered that a mixture of two commonly consumed edible plants red pomegranate and turmeric when exposed to light wavelengths just below the visible threshold, produce a pure white light emission. Now, this is an extensive scientific article, and I have edited a great deal out because it's too much for this show, but I will tell you that this has the potential to create indoor lighting this finding presents a simple, cheap and environmentally safe alternative to current LED technology which presently relies on toxic minerals including heavy metals such as arsenic, copper, nickel and lead in their production. Now this is a study that holds great promise for a sustainable future. We you know it's already been identified that turmeric and pomegranate have Uh, wonderful health properties and that they're in many ways far superior to conventional drug-based intervention for disease prevention and management. And now we are learning about the technological applications of these remarkable plants, and it's likely that we're still only scratching the surface. Can you imagine? And and the article, as extensive as it was, I can tell you, these scientists are saying that this can be done. It's possible to use this mixture of turmeric and red pomegranate to create laser lighting, indoor lighting, other applications in science. Is that amazing, Ariel, or what? Wow.
1: That is great news. (laughs)
0: That is just so cool. Does that sound so futuristic like a world we would want to live in? Fantastic. Well, anyway, California Assembly has passed a mandatory vaccine bill. California's Assembly on Thursday approved a hotly contested bill requiring that nearly all public school children be vaccinated. They say that it has to go to the desk of Jerry Brown, the governor. If the bill becomes law, California would join Mississippi and West Virginia as the only states with such strict requirements. Here's a wonderful story for you. A boy who wrote letters to his dog in heaven for months got a special gift when he received a touching reply in the mail from his beloved pet. Their dog, Mo, this mother and son, had a doggy named Mo that passed away in April. And this mother and her three-year-old son began writing messages addressed to their dog and sending them to him from where they live in the state of Virginia. And the mother said, because you can't fool a three-year-old, we'd take the letter out to our mailbox. And they addressed the letters to Mo, Doggy Heaven, Cloud One. Well, normally, (laughs) that just makes you, tears you up. Well, normally, the mother naturally goes out to the mailbox when the little boy isn't looking, and she takes him out of the box after her son assumes they've been mailed. But one day she forgot to get the letter. Something came up and she didn't get it before the mailman came. And she noticed, oh, my gosh, the mailman picked up the mail. Now what? She said, I assumed the post office would throw it away and somebody might laugh at us. But on Wednesday morning last week, the mother was stunned to discover a response letter from Mo in their mailbox. It said, I'm in doggy heaven. I play all day. I'm so happy. Thank you for being my friend. I love you, Luke. The little boy's name is Luke. <sighs> now, the mother said she hasn't figured out who wrote that letter. The little boy was overjoyed, and she said, Receiving the note reminded me of the goodness of people and just how big a small gesture can really be. She said, Here's to Mo and doggy heaven and thoughtful postal workers everywhere. Oh. Isn't that great? And last yeah. story for tonight. Last story for tonight. There is a handsome dude in Japan who is stealing away women's hearts. It's a gorilla, and he grew up in Australia Zoo, and he is he's been transported to Japan, and he is the latest rage in <laughs> in masculine obsession. His name is Shabani, the gorilla who lives in a zoo in Nagoya, and he's attracted a huge following of admirers who visit him because he's so handsome. News agencies have reported that about one out of a hun- about 100 admirers excuse me, keep vigil at his exhibit, shouting his name and cheering him and wooing him whenever he comes out of his cage. It says the manly gorilla's rise to fame took off after the mugshot of the 18-year-old animal began going viral on Twitter, but I have to tell you, everybody, it's unfortunate. Shabani is married, he's taken, he has two wives and two children. <laughs> and that's it for tonight's news. Next week we're going to talk about NASA accused of cutting off a live feed of some UFOs, but we'll save that for next week. So that's it for tonight. I'm looking forward to this refresher interview with Lavendar. I think this is something we can hear. So much to glean from it, Ariel. You can't just no, hear something those like things. this once and know it. Right. Get more from it. Um, right. The, and uh, since it's Pleiadian lineup, I just think it's meant to be that we play this again tonight.
1: Well, it is. Um, it's a wonderful recording. So thank you so much and, uh, for the Star Seed News.
0: You're welcome. We'll talk again next week.
1: Okay, Anastasia. Thank you. So... Um, Lavendar, I'm just about to roll this. If you would like to um, introduce conversations from the vault.
3: Okay, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the Teton meetings that are going to be happening in Wyoming um, starting July 1 through 7. It happens twice a year, January 1 through 7 and July 1 through 7. And this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years where beings come from different um uh, planets different species we have a lot of Pleiadians um and Arcturians Andromedans uh, a lot of beings that are coming in for this special meeting this particular um week and a lot of you that are listening to this show of course have been uh, been going to these meetings for some time and one way to to tell if you've uh, attended the meeting is when you wake up of a morning and you look at your thumbs, and if you have two little red dots on the top of your thumbs, then it's a pretty good sign that you've been to the meetings. So um, I'm real sorry that our, our guest was unable to to, to meet with us uh, today, but I guess we all probably need to hear more about the Tetons from what we said in January. So go ahead, Ariel, and start okay. the recording.
1: All right, then.
2: After nearly five years on the air, Lavendar has covered quite a range of starseed information that she's collected through her chronicles over the last three decades, and that's always available in our archives. But with hundreds of shows completed, we thought it would be great to do kind of a Reader's Digest condensed version of a broad range of galactic topics so you don't miss something that we aired a few years ago. Plus, we get emails with questions that I think many people would like to have answered. So we've incorporated a massive amount of information in this first-time, full-length interview with Lavendar. We'll be including information for beginning-to-advanced starseed consciousness. So, Lavendar, we thank you for your unwavering dedication to the light information from the Pleiadians and their allies, which you've been living and collecting journaling and holding in the vault for us because now is the time. So I think I'd like to start with your foundation and background, okay? Okay. So you were born fully conscious. Tell us about that and what level of evolution is required for this and what do you remember about your birth?
3: Well, I remember being being born and as I was being cleaned up and, and put in a wrap, I remembered thinking at the time, oh, those bright lights and, and there's so much noise in here, and I was very, very conscious of, of everything, of everything. And as they took me to the nursery and, uh, and put me in the nursery, uh, other babies were crying And I was going, oh my goodness, how do we get them to shut up? I was like, wow. (laughs) And I I was very, very conscious of their their being in the nursery. And then when I looked up on the windowsill, there was this um, praying mantis creature sitting on the windowsill. And I remembered turning my head and seeing it, and then there was a beam of energy that came to me from this being. And... That was my really first strong memory of being connected to something besides being in the nursery, being you know on Earth. All of a sudden, I was very aware that I was connected to something outside of this planet. And I felt very safe and secure at that moment when that happened. Uh, later on, when I was um, old enough to talk, when i could say words and i started speaking quite young in fact my parents <laughs> there was a joke because when they would speak i would know what they were saying and and they didn't they didn't realize that i was aware of english and that i knew what they were uh, saying in in words so pretty soon they started spelling everything and then i got smart to spelling everything so it <laughs> there was there was a whole joke in our family about not talking in front of me because they knew that i could i could understand so um in in the very beginning i was a very um i was a very skinny uh, delicate child and my eyes were big and and I had, when i started speaking i had an adult voice i didn't ha- i never had a child's voice in fact uh, my aunt she loved to tell the story of me going to my grandfather's funeral and walking up to the casket and you know and, and being lifted up and, and saying, somebody's dead here and I think it's my granddaddy. And it just freaked everybody out in the room (laughs) because I had this adult voice with this baby body, you know, and, um, and talk about the, the conception of my parents. My, my father had been diagnosed sterile. He could not have children. And, um, so they tried to have me for like seven years. And one day, um, my mother peed in a jar and took it to see, you know, if she was pregnant, and there was a spider uh, inside of the uh, specimen, and so the doctor came out and said, "Well, you're going to have a little spider." So, spider became my nickname for for many many years. So that was um, the beginning of of coming to the planet, and um, my father was very. Uh, He knew that he was sterile, so it's like um, he treated me very standoffish for a few years because he didn't feel like that he was my actual father. In fact, what actually happened, my mother told me later, many, many years later, that the night that uh, I was conceived, there was this blue light that came in, and it was a round ball of blue, and it came down over my father's body as they were making love, and that somehow some kind of galactic DNA was actually spun into some kind of energy with, with my earth father as a deliverance system. But genetically, I was at that point in time a hybrid, you might say.
2: And isn't this kind of uh, birth more common than people would think?
3: it is more common but of course you know in 1942 it wasn't (laughs) no one was talking about anything like this uh, in those years but years later when i became very very involved in all of this work i started finding all kinds of women that had had um, these conceptions and these births I, i was running into women um, that had not even had sex with a man that were were becoming pregnant and of course back in our vault we have the stories of vanishing twins and uh, for those that, who haven't heard that particular radio show it's very enlightening because of of the uh, the depth that we go into uh... with <clears throat> how this happens with uh, the vanishing twins
2: so from a very young age you were conscious you were literate and did this psychic ability start showing at a pretty early age
3: I didn't really think of it as psychic because I didn't know what that was growing up I mean it's like I thought everybody you know when you wake up in a world and and you you hear thoughts and you can just do things you you don't know that you're different until somebody actually points it out and say oh well you're different so it was around the age of 10 when i realized that that i kind of had to slow down and not say and do certain things because it was getting me in trouble It was getting me in trouble in in, in sunday school at church it was getting me in trouble in my in my class uh, at school and especially my dad was in politics so we we had the governor of our state come in and have dinner and of course, I had to pop off and say something like, well, when are you going to marry your secretary? Of course, everybody just dropped their knife and fork at that point. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> and of course, years later, he did. So uh, I, I found that my, my one-liners or my, <laughs> the statements that would come out of my mouth, you know, these, this adult voice out of a child's body, was starting to really alarm people and they became kind of frightened of me so I had to I had to dial it back
2: and you had a rough time in school because they weren't you the only girl
3: I was for for yes for five years um, I was the only girl in my class and uh, there were nine boys and me so that was that was pretty rough that was pretty rough. Yeah.
2: well it's it's hard enough being, being a kid surrounded by kids, but um, in a very small town, uh, it was really hard for you to blend in, was it? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. there was no blending in. And our population was 500. I lived out uh, three miles away from the town. And it was uh, a very strong education growing up on the farm. You know, I gathered eggs, I, I uh, milked cows, I chopped cotton, I picked cotton. Uh, we, one year we had 80, 86 acres of potatoes, I dug potatoes, and we had potatoes in our cellar for two or three years, <laughs> we raised peacocks, we had like 75 peacocks, and at 4 o'clock in the morning they all decided to yell help at once, so it's like I kept saying why do we have <laughs> these these birds that keep waking us up at 4 every morning? I never got an answer okay. to that, they were pretty, <laughs> but, they, but they had no function. <laughs>
2: Right, So you really had the little farm girl, isolated, rural America upbringing.
3: Absolutely.
2: And did this psychic ability um, run in your family?
3: Yes, my mother, my grandmother, and my mother uh, were both very, very extremely um, in tune with just so many different things. In fact, my my grandmother and I had the same birth date. Um, she was born in eight. 18- uh, 1889, and uh, we had the same birth date. So, there were things that were very similar in uh, uh, understandings between me and my grandmother. Mm. Now, and, and my granddad, uh, my granddad on, on my mother's side, was a Middleton that was kin to the author Middleton that actually signed the Declaration of Independence. When we look back in our genealogy, we did we did find that. And later on, I started understanding more about my bloodline and my connection to um, the laws that were written in those times, the Declaration of Independence, and I call it Ben and the Boys, because there was a group of, of Pleiadian instructions that was laid down on our planet so that the United States would be able to take the lead in bringing the, the laws back to the land. And it was it was through some of these highly advanced beings that were allowed to come to the planet to set this in motion. And, you know, Belva, our friend Belva, she was also part of the Declaration of Independence. Her, her ancestors also signed it, and I believe his name was George Taylor.
2: Wow. So when you, I've heard you refer to Ben and the boys over the years, obviously Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. Uh, how big of a group was this?
3: It was a pretty big group. there was there was two to three hundred um, people that were really uh, instrumental in in their bloodlines and their in their desire to bring freedom. Freedom was the watchword. Freedom was the big the big push. It was like if we can't have freedom to do what we want to do on the planet, then what's 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 the reason for being here? So it was a, it was a plan that was put in motion. For, for many, many years, the bloodlines were actually tracked and, and put in a, uh, a way of streamlining consciousness so that this particular group that was coming to the planet at that time would be in sync with what needed to be done with the laws of the land.
2: And is there a star marking that, that reflects this connection on your chart?
3: You know, when I started finding out about the, the star markings, the 25, 26, 27 degrees of the signs, I, um, I was kind of disappointed in my chart because I didn't have any planets that were 25, 26, or 27 degrees. However, every one of my house cusp, my rising sign, uh, of course, is 26 Virgo. And so all the way around the wheel, I had 26 or 27 Um, and, and then later on I realized that I was actually attuned to the 12 time zones of the Zodiac, which gives a person uh, an additional tracking device, I would call it. It's like, it's, it's like if you're standing out in the middle of a field and you're, you know, going around and around like the sound of music, it's, it's like you're tuning into, all of the twelve time zones at once so that you collectively can pull into your system at any given time that particular frequency that's going to to help you with the decision that you're having to make
2: so is there one of these twelve star markings uh, on your house cusps that that you would say points to Ben and the boys Um. would be twenty six cancer you know
3: i've never been asked that before let me give that some thought let me just uh... yes now that okay i I think that what i'm finding about the laws of the land has to do with several different markings it isn't just one i I noticed that the twenty five twenty six and twenty seven of cancer and capricorn that seems to be a a frequency by tracking bloodlines. And then I find that the Aquarius and Leo part, it's a combination that that comes in and reinforces because the leadership, the law of the land, making sure that the laws are uh, in accordance to how uh, the old scientists and the old beings from Atlantis would... would, um, not be able to come through that frequency and start using it for negative results. In other words, when you have the balance of Cancer, Capricorn, Leo, and Aquarius, when you have those four things working, it seems to bring up the memories of the laws of the land, cosmic law, coming to Earth law, and back again. I I, I wish I had a better explanation for it, but that's, that's about all I can say at this time.
0: Okay.
2: So when was your first contact with ETs?
3: Well, um, I w- I think my conscious, I was contacted and, and a lot of things happened to me for many, many years without me even knowing about it. Um, they generally took me through all kinds of trials, tribulations, just to see how, I could emotionally handle certain things on the planet, so when I think about a, a first contact, the one that really, really stands out in my mind is when I was in um, Los Angeles. I was at the Academy of, of Atlantis, I was studying astrology, and we started having... Um, contact with extraterrestrials, and one happened to show up in my bedroom, and uh, it was the first time that I can remember that I actually got to have a uh, one-on-one contact with a being that was in my physical space, and his name was Pre, and he was very, very tall, was, you know, like over seven feet tall, and um, he was blue, he had three rows of teeth, and his, um, his skin was very, um, kind of reminded me of, of dolphin skin, and, and yet it was a little rubbery. It was kind of a rubbery skin, but had a very sweet, kind disposition, and was able to send thoughts to me by mental telepathy. There was no words that were used. He, he would use mental telepathy and, and, uh, and the context that I had with him. He was around me for, for some time. He would come and go, and I got over being afraid of him. At first, you know, you're startled when you see something that's out of your comfort zone. But as time went on, I, I had a comfort with him. And he was actually the one that uh, explained to me that I had a, a double pineal and that i had i was getting headaches and i and i went to a doctor and they um, examined me and told me that i had a tumor on my pineal and it needed to be removed and um, I, I went back and told the group that i was living with uh, what the doctor had said and they said oh they try to remove that they'll kill you and you can't have that operation and so uh, i was told that that i was genetically engineered to have this double pineal which means later on that they would come and go through this uh, entry place in in my head and that I would live in one side of it and they would come and go on the other side but that wouldn't be activated for many years to come.
2: So you had gone to Los Angeles to study astrology and metaphysics because of a traumatic event that happened So, we just back up a little bit here, and uh, tell us about uh, meeting Jim and that message that was left for you inside your locked car.
3: So, we're looking at, let's see, what year was this? I believe it was about 1968, and um, I was... I was working for a radio station, I was a sales manager radio station, and I would call on my, on my clients for advertising, and every time I would call this person, this gym person, uh, he would make an appointment but would never show up. He just would never show up. I'd go there and he just wouldn't show, and this went on three or four times. So one day I was at a restaurant, restaurant bar. It was a place where a lot of advertising people went. And and took their clients, and it was always a drinking uh, place. People drank a lot in the in the '60s and '70s through their client meetings. And so I went in one day and sat down. And uh, and so Jim walks in, and and I heard I heard them say his name. And I got up and I went over and I just put my finger right in his face. I said, "Why have you canceled all the meetings that we had?" He looked me straight in the eye and he said, I'll tell you why. He said, from the minute I heard your name, I was lost. I was in love with you. And I knew that I knew you from another lifetime. And I've been having dreams about you. And I was just dreading the day that I was going to have to meet you in person because I knew that you were going to change my life. Now, all of that came out of his mouth. And I'm just standing there. (laughs) And I'm going, what are you talking about? So we went over and sat down. And I remembered him ordering... White Russians, and I, started, and I started drinking White Russians, we both started drinking White Russians, about after the third or fourth um, White Russian, I realized that I was in deep doo-doo with this, with this person, and that something was happening that was totally out of my awareness at the time, and, and there was an energy that I felt about him. I, I knew that I knew him. I knew he was right about everything he said, but I couldn't verbalize that at the time. So, finally I just said, you know what, I have to go. I, I just have to go. So, I went out to my car, and I got in. It was a little Toyota, and um, I got in the car, and the car was locked. I unlocked the door, went inside, and when I got in, it was like somebody had taken their finger, and they wrote on the windshield, uh, a date. And it says February twelfth, um, nineteen seventy-two. You will have this man for three years and no more. Well, I just freaked out. I thought, my goodness, what in the world is this? So I, I only lived about five blocks from this restaurant bar, and I had had quite a bit to drink. So I just, you know, really drove slowly got into my apartment, I called my boss and I said, you know, you've been wanting me to go to Las Vegas to, to do that due bill, so I'm ready to go. Can I go tomorrow? I knew that I just I needed to get away from this person. It was just really um, something I needed to flee from. But when I got back from Las Vegas, um, nothing really changed and we started seeing each other and then, to make a long story short, on the day that I w- that we were to be married, he died of a heart attack. Uh, that morning we were to be married. That night and he died that morning. He went in for a um, a heart exam and they put him on a treadmill. He he went back uh, home, laid down, and he died. I went into absolute shock, and I was not in very good shape for a couple of years. I drank a lot, and I had vision. Uh, he would come to me and talk to me, I had communication with him, and if I was dating someone um, that he didn't like, then he would do things like it, it, he would take a coffee cup, turn it upside down in the guy's lap, or, or if I took somebody home, they would pick up things in the house and just things would go flying across the room, <laughs> so it's like, I have a lot of stories about those two years, but I won't go into it now, but anyway, uh, so when I went to... To Los Angeles, uh, a friend of mine who was a movie producer, he said, I think you need to meet um, Dana Marshall who has the Academy of Atlantis, and I went there, and I wanted to study astrology, I wanted to find out what happened to, to Jim after he died, and he was around me for quite a while, but one day he came to me and he said, I have to be born now, I'm going to leave, but I must tell you that your friend Earline, uh, she's in trouble, you need to call her right away. So. I called and there was no answer, and um, finally I got a hold of her husband, and I said, I, he said, well, she left some time ago. I said, well, look out in the driveway. He went out in the driveway, and she was um, hanging over the steering wheel. She'd had a heart attack, and that was the last communication that I had with Jim um, at that at that time, but it, what it did was it really broke me open to other possibilities of existence so my time at the Academy Atlantis was just mind-blowing every day because Dana Marshall she was in contact with beings off world and they were sending information about a lot of different things at that time and I was of course
2: very very interested in everything that happened and at that time I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the the story but there was something about Will Rogers how did that come up?
3: Well, it, I, I had um, actually dated Will Rogers' nephew, and, and he had asked me to marry him. And, um, and I'd always felt bad because um, I, he was a politician, and my parents wanted me to do it. But, you know, I just, I just didn't love him that way. So, Frenette, who was a channel with Dana, uh, she called me upstairs, and she said, Here's a message uh, for you today, and it's from Will Rogers and I thought, Will Rogers, why would he be giving me a message? And it says, do not hearken back on this person because you, you were never meant to, to go in that direction. And then a whole explanation of things that were to happen to me in the future were, were explained to me. And, and it was signed by Will Rogers. And I said, you know what, I, I've been to the Will Rogers Museum. I'm going to take this handwriting And I'm going to go over there and see if it matches. So I went over to the Will Rogers Museum, and sure enough, the signature that was on this paper matched the signature that I was looking at. And and then later on, uh, when I went back and said, can I have another um, meeting with Will Rogers, Um, I asked, I said, tell me about one of your incarnations. He said, well, one of my incarnations was Judas." And the reason that I came back as Will Rogers in this lifetime was to bring the laughter back to the people after so much had been written about what I had done, which at that time explained that all the stories that had been written about him were truly bogus.
2: Right. I mean, he had a great selfless act in compliance with the requests of Jesus. That's right. right. Yeah. Wow. So, let's uh, fast forward a little bit here for those that haven't listened to your featured episode, which is called Crack Between the Worlds. uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about how you met George Van Tassel?
3: Well, Belva Bloomer, of course, um, is someone that throughout throughout my existence with her has always turned me on to what I need to do next. (laughs) And so... We were in, in, in Las Vegas. I was uh, doing astrology sessions in a little room uh, in Belvis Beauty Shop. And one day she said, you know, you just need to meet George Van Tassel. You need to go to Giant Rock. Can we make that appointment? So we got in the car, and she and I and her husband, we we drove uh, down to uh, Yucca Valley, to where the Integraton was in George. And we started having... Uh, meetings in his living room and this went on for I would say probably six or seven trips before the the big walk that I took with George that day you know out on the in the sand dunes which totally changed my world but in 1977 um, George George died and uh, when he died then i realized that what he had passed on to me on that walk that day in the, in the sand dunes had much more emphasis but i didn't really realize it at the time it's like i put it on hold but then later on i realized that what i had gone through in this relationship with george that he was preparing me for something that i could not even begin to imagine that was going to be happening to me and in that walk that we took that day and when he would speak to me about walk-ins and the Tesla kids and the inventions and space travel, and uh, parallel worlds and, well, you name it, he he had he was bringing it up, you know. And then we'd walk for a while in in silence because he he would see how much that I was taking in and absorbing, and then he would speak again. And all of this, it was like so much was crammed into my brain at once that at times i thought my brain was going to explode but what he actually did for me was to give me the heads up on some programs that had been placed in my blood in my genetics that were going to match what i was going to be doing later on on the planet but the heavy thing that was told to me was that once i had this information i had to put it in a bank vault And that I couldn't be distributing it for over... I had to wait and sit on it for 25 years at least. Now, I'm a Sagittarian. And to tell a Sag that she has to keep her mouth shut for 25 years about anything... (laughs) I mean, mean, you know, I was born with... My mouth was like a torn pocket. It was just flapping all the time. So that was a very... Um, hard thing for me to do. However, I was allowed to, to have an inner circle that would know about this information, and of course, one of those people was Belva Bloomer, and uh, so I, and, and a few other people that I, I had um, had met along the way. I would take them aside and show them certain portions of the material that was in the it was in the bank vault. But it was hard. But mostly, they told me that the the People that were born after 1980 were the ones that would really appreciate and would know what it would mean to read the material or to know how things worked on the planet concerning humans and extraterrestrials. So I'm, I'm noticing now that I get a lot more clients on the website that are born after 1980. There's a whole group of, of young people that are starting to show up that were born in 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 the early 80s and so every time i i see one of them i think oh you know so maybe this information is for you and so sometimes i go a little deeper when i when i find a person that has a lot of 25 26 or 27 degree planets and they're born after 1980 i really pay special attention to some of the information that i'm i'm uh, giving to them because i know that they're possibly more open for it than maybe the ones that were not born before
2: that year. And even after um, after '87, there have been several um, kind of waves of souls coming to the planets um, that you have talked about before. But you know, I can I can say that I'm I'm noticing the same thing. Um, people born in the '80s and '90s are probably more than half of of the people that find their way to the website or the radio show and they're just loaded with star markings
3: i know it's amazing yeah it's like how does this happen and it's happening all over the world it's happening from from australia and new zealand and and south africa and england you know people are just i'll say how did you find us They say well i was just surfing the website and you came up and i just i read your website and i just had to find you and that and I'm hearing that more and more aren't you hearing that more
2: Mm -hmm. well there is a um, there's a a saying that well I don't know it's a quote actually uh, that you were given saying truth knows its own source so when starseeds start reading some truth they just resonate with it on a very intuitive and, and deep level and it's I know that I see the same thing uh, I'll see pockets of people and I think what are these people all know each other <laughs> because there'll be certain areas of the country yeah. or then you'll get patterns where uh, I remember one day I had five people show up all born in February different years different parts of the world but it's almost like there are, there are certain signals or triggers and totally unrelated unacquainted people show up on the same day within a few hours. Right. And, and there's some common thing. And it, it, does, it does go in patterns and waves. So we do, do have a, a unique perspective on the, on the ebb and flow and the, and the um, activation of the starseed bloodlines on the planet. And one of the things that I'm
3: noticing is like, um, you know, I will schedule someone... Um, a month or two in advance, and I don't do their charts before I schedule them but what I noticed uh, on this one particular occasion I had scheduled two women one lived in Wisconsin I believe the other one lived uh, I think in Colorado they had same they were born in the same month and the same year and they both had the same desire to do hypnotherapy for people that had had abductions. I thought that was the most unusual thing that, that, I mean, to have both women, one was at 3 o'clock, one was at 5 o'clock that day, and both of them were expressing a desire to to, to learn and to go to school and to, to be a, a hypnotist to help people that were suffering from being abducted by ETs. And I just thought that was over the top.
2: I know there's (laughs) so much that happens that can't possibly be a coincidence. There is some some grand design and uh, we get we get the clues but maybe not all of the answers (laughs) for how come that happened. And didn't George tell you that after that, that giant rock would split and that would be your signal.
3: Absolutely. That's when we took that walk that day out, out on the on the sand dunes, and um, he was to impart this uh, information to me. And then he said, "Look over there at that rock," and, and I said, "Yeah." And he's, and um, he said, "One day," he said, "that rock is going to crack. It's going to split, and when it does," he said, "that will be the signal for you to take information out of the bank vault." after you've written it for so many years for you to, to um, take the information out and start to, uh, giving it to the people. And of course I looked at him like he was totally nuts. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, oh, I've got a bank vault. Oh, I'm going to be writing, and oh, by the way, that the rock's going to that huge. I mean, this is a huge rock. I mean, it's like, what in the world can possibly crack that rock? Well, guess what? It was lightning that cracked the, that cracked the rock. Or, you might say, lightning from the ship, because right. they can produce lightning from the ship. And I, of course got to find out about that up close and personal <laughs> through my three three direct lightning strikes. And then I have seven stories of lightning strikes, which are, again, back in the archives. It's a very interesting story about me and lightning.
2: Wow. So in March this year, we are celebrating five years on the air. And a lot of the journals that you've been uh, speaking about is, is in our archives in various shows but in all of the the journals you use a vocabulary of galactic terms and i remember that when we first met in 1991 i wasn't sure about what some of those terms meant and you use them just you know like every day past the salt uh, and and i've been getting questions uh through the email with people needing definitions So, let's just play um, dictionary here for a minute and give us some definitions of, of these terms. First of all, when you refer to frequency.
3: Frequency is a measurement, it's a mathematical measurement of energy that is running in a person's thought mechanism or it's running in their physical mechanism, or their emotional mechanism. It's a frequency by which it jumps from one place to another. And it's, it's like a wave of vibration. It's a vibration. It is a vibration.
2: Would you liken it to like a musical note?
3: Yes. Yes, it's like a musical note. And these, and these musical notes will come in combination to give a code. It's like a, a frequency will activate, say, a color. A color and a frequency combined with, say, a quartz crystal or with a thought emanation. And then pretty soon there's a code that starts, it's it's like a an energy that starts building. And once it uh, is seen or felt by a person, then they'll go, Oh, that makes me think of my next thought. Or it makes me think of of something warm and fuzzy, or maybe it makes me think of something that I knew a long time ago, a code. The reason I use the word code is because it's placed there to be activated for the person that's to interpret the code. In other words, say you see 1111 on your clock. That's a code. And people's heads will just jerk to the clock, and they'll go, "woo." There's eleven eleven. Now, what makes a person's head jerk and look at eleven eleven? Because there's something kind of invisible in your frequency that's uh, being reminded of this particular code on the clock. And eleven eleven means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what I've come to know is that it it is the place where you're about to make a giant leap in evolutionary thought. It's the place where you know sometimes a person will wait to the 11th hour to pay a bill or, may, or, or the 11th hour to make a plane reservation or and then they'll, they'll go, oh why do I do this? What do I wait to the 11th hour? And most people beat themselves up for this but what I say is wait till the 11th hour because it gives you the advantage of the last moment to make that decision, to pull that trigger on your desired energy move where you want to be effective. Are, are, am, I, am I making myself clear about the eleven eleven?
2: Yeah, yeah. I would uh, ask you if this, if this is similar when a hypnotist, for example, you know, they do shows and things like that, and they will give someone a post-hypnotic suggestion. And then they walk around totally normal, but when they hear someone say, you know, crackers, then, it, then a behavior begins. Right, yeah. It's kind of like that, it, isn't it? It is.
3: It is like that.
2: So the code is something that can sit there dormant until something triggers it, and then an activation, a behavior, um, a realization, an awakening of some kind happens and those all those codes have frequencies like like notes on a musical scale and as you said when you you can put several things together for people that are familiar with music if you have a a minor triad it sounds like sad sadness mm-hmm. and if you have a major triad mm-hmm. it sounds happy that's right so you put these things together and there's a recognition on a on a very intuitive kind of level it doesn't necessarily happen in your in your intellect but these things will spawn new areas of thought new areas of activity and i mean all kinds of things can happen when when these timers or codes are activated through frequencies
3: so so this 25 26 27 is a code it's an astrological code but it also matches the code in the dna there's a dna there's a starseed DNA that's in your blood that's in correspondent to your 25, 26, 27 degrees planets in your chart that when those two things come together, they activate and the code's activated and then the person, uh, think of think of the cells in the body having little bitty eyes. Think of these millions of little eyes that are shut. And all of a sudden, this code is activated and all the little eyes just wake up, all the cells go whoop, and their eyes are open, and they start moving, they start functioning, and all of a sudden the person is, is so awake to so many things, they go, wow, how did I get so awake about this, about what I'm reading or what I'm seeing, or or look at that person across the street, how do I know about him now, I didn't know about him before, it's like everything in them just becomes heightened in, in awareness, and those are the kind of codes when they activate that 25, 26, or 27 degrees, they'll activate the bloodlines, they'll activate, it, it's a timer. And this is a place that I probably should say, after I found out about the codes of 25, 26, 27, and I worked with them for, what, three and a half years very closely, the thing that really, I mean really, took me around the bend <laughs> and down the rabbit hole and back again. <laughs> Was was when they took me aboard ship and they took a drop of my blood and they put it up on a screen, they put the chart up for me to see where all my planets were and all my houses and all the degrees, the way I write them, and I said, you mean you can take one drop of blood and you know where I was born, what time I was born, and where I was born? And they said, yes and i just i said oh take me back now and <laughs> they took me back <laughs> and, and i laid in my bed and looked at the ceiling for about 3 days i mean i couldn't i got up to eat go to the bathroom came back looked at the ceiling looked at the ceiling it was like my brain was kind of paralyzed it was like it stopped at a place and i couldn't go any further with my brain until something would really that's the only way I can explain it
2: but we that, had to digest it
3: it was more than that it was like I was in a freeze frame I was like I was paralyzed with the thought I and mean, I didn't I didn't know that a thought could paralyze you okay it was like I was almost afraid to breathe I was afraid to move it was like oh it was it was a moment in time, that, and I knew that I needed to crystallize it, and then I needed to do something with it, because I knew this was the big moment, that everything was going to change for me. And sure enough, it did, because it was after that that I was able to relax with the, with the thought about how the bloodlines and the astrological information were coming together in an evolutionary form, in human form, that was going to take our planet into its next stage. This is one of the ways that that these kinds of uh, projects were being placed on the planet, and so my trip to Cairo, my work with the Pleiadians, uh, going aboard the Starship Bethlehem, all of that started making a whole lot of sense when I when I started putting it all together. Now you gotta remember that. I wasn't allowed to do lectures, I wasn't allowed to go to UFO conferences. I I was only allowed to work with high profile people at that time on their assignments. So the world at large wasn't to know anything about me. In fact, the people that I did work with that were high profile, you know, I was constantly saying to them, you've got to keep me a secret. You cannot let this out about me because I won't be able to help you and I won't be able to do my other work. So all of this was done for, you know, twenty five years, a secreted away from from prying eyes. And it was hard, like I said, hard for a Sag to keep her mouth shut all that time.
2: Well, you had to protect the the sanctity of the information. And that kinda of brings me to the to the next definition because you use this a lot and uh, I've had people ask me about what is spin
3: I can only uh, say let me just try to explain it in an example it's like when when I get ready to, to lay down a heavy statement or something that I know is about to change that person's world or something that the aha moment something that's really gonna go wow what a thought sometimes it's important to give that energy to that person, disconnect from that person, and spin your energy and walk away. Let them keep it. Don't let them stay attached to you so that it will build between the two of you. Because once you give it to the person, you need to disconnect and spin and walk away. It's because it's their experience it's it's not for you to stay and monitor it's not for you to to stay attached to it uh, it keeps you out of codependency okay
0: mm-hmm. i don't
3: like people to be de- uh codependent on me uh in fact most of the people that i give sessions to they get it all in one session they don't really need to come back however a lot of people want to have their solar returns done so that's an exception a solar return reading with me is much different than the first session that i will do with a person in the first session i'll find out your natural state your rights of passage i'll look at your cosmic bank account i'll see the different lifetimes that you've lived and the credits that you have and your debits but what i really focus on in this in this one-hour session that you'll have with me, is your credits. Because if you happen to know about the wonderful masterships from other lifetimes, it's like riding a bicycle. You never quite forget that. You can zip that credit card to your soul and say, You, come here. I need you now. And literally bring up that talent, whether it's an artist, a musician, or a designer, a public speaker... You know, someone that has leadership abilities from other lifetimes. I've seen people with five planets in Leo that are sitting over in a corner saying, I don't know what I'm here for. And then I say, well, look at these five planets in Leo. This, this is the mark of leadership. This is the mark of where you step out and, and decide that you want to take a stronger role with, with your, your friends and family. And I've had several people to go, yeah, I've never had the courage to do that. So sometimes it just takes a little nudge and a little pushing in that direction for a person to grab a hold of their natural state and their rites of passage and then take off on their life.
2: Well, those are two more terms that I um, wanted to talk about, a natural state
3: Natural state is what you're born with. What you're born with. When I look at a chart and and I see the Ascendant, the Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Saturn, Jupiter, all the planets, and they make a configuration, they make a harmonic. And so there's a a song. It's like a song that someone is singing. When I hear a person's voice and I look at their chart, a third file opens in my head and then I start tracking the cosmic uh, blueprint. And I'll look at the center, and I'll have them look at their chart and say, see that in the center? Think of that as your personal crop circle. That's your symbol. You know, look at that often, because you may not know what it says, but it knows you. And I've had three people um, contact me and say, you know, we were looking at those charts, for several days one man said i flew to france and found uh, my beloved and i moved there another lady said i got the courage to divorce my husband uh, a third woman said i quit my job and and i and i moved to sedona arizona so it's like and i didn't know that was happening they had to tell me that this was happening they would laminate them stick them on the refrigerator they were looking at them daily and all of a sudden there was a message that was coming through. It was a code. It was their code. It was like a remembrance code. You see, when we come to the planet, we come with no remembrance. And a lot of people say, well, why is that we come down here and we can't remember? If you could remember all of your lifetimes at once, you would go insane. The first thing that would happen to you would be, oh, that person killed me. Well, I'm going to go kill them. Or, oh, that person betrayed me. Oh, well, let's figure out a way to betray them. Your judgment is high. Once you know that you're living with Darth Vader, what is it you want to do? You want to take his head off. (laughs) <laughs> so, you, So what happens is, they give us non-remembrance. We have a clean slate. We would have no memory of what's happened before with all these people. That way, we can start with a fresh, clean bill of galactic health. Because now we can have a relationship and let it build on its own without having memories of betrayal, of murder, of being a victim or whatever has happened in the past. Now, you do have the bleed-throughs. The bleed-throughs sometimes will help you to understand more about why you're with that person. But sometimes it can be downright dangerous to go back into past lives because if you don't have the conditioning about judgment, if you're not into alignment with yourself, if you don't know yourself well enough to do that, then don't go there. So that's why I try to teach people to learn astrology, learn about your planets, learn about your natural state, your rites of passage. You know, when you have um, masterships, take those masterships and really fine-tune them. If you have places where you're vulnerable, then get in there and do some scrubbing and, 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 and clean them out and get them to stand up straight to where no one can come along and tap you in your vulnerabilities and lead you down a rabbit hole that you can't get out of. Know yourself if you know yourself then you'll be on top of your game because believe you me other people will know you better than you know yourself and they will have the advantage
2: over you and this can be a rough ride so what I'm hearing is that you think of the natural state as a particular kind of a uniform that you're born with and then as you go through your life other people uh get you clothing that's not yours and you wear it (laughs) and thinking and thinking that oh this is my shirt and these are my pants and as you get farther and farther away from that natural uniform that you were born with then you don't have access to your rites of passage which is like your karmic bank account of all of your past diplomas and certificates and graduations and masterships because it's like wait a minute you haven't got the uniform on you can't come in here so when you get to your natural state when you find out what that is either through your own astrological research or you know talking to you or or me then you can um, get that that natural uniform back on so that when you go through the the rites of passage it's like oh yes it's you come on through and you have access to all of that so that's you can't get to your rites of passage unless you have alignment which is like uh, congruence with your natural state Uh, it's like singing is you have to be singing in key and if you're not singing on key then you're not in alignment and, and again, you can't quite get that door to open.
3: It, well, and What you said about, well, I, I got a vision of, um, you, you grow up in a family and, and, and your mother gives you the blouse and your father gives you the trousers and, and your school teachers give you the shoes and, 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 then, and then later on in your life you go, I don't want to wear this blouse anymore. Are these pants? Are these shoes? It's not me. I, I'm doing something that, that I was born into in, in a family and I thought they knew what they were doing when they gave me this blouse and, and, and pants and shoes, but this, not, this is not why I came to the planet. So it's like all of a sudden when, when, you, when you wake up and go, wow, I see now that, that the people that raised me, um, they, were, they were fine people, I love them dearly, but I have to go on now and I have to give them their clothes back. I have to get new clothes or maybe I have to stand out here totally naked until the new clothes show up.
2: <laughs> until your original clothes come back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I had a question on our forum uh, the other day where uh, a person wanted to understand what is tracking and why is it important?
3: Um. I use the term tracking when I—it's galactic tracking that I do. It's—it is—it's—it's uh, it's not an Earth term. It's a—it's a term that I use when I am am tracking a person's essence through either lifetimes or through their bloodlines or a combination of their astro. It's a combination of astrological bloodline and their masterships, and it's a form of tracking that I use. That gives me the information, so that I'm I'm able to turn around and tell the person uh, more that they need to know about where they're going in their future and why they're here on the planet.
2: So, um, galactic tracking is something that very few people can do. As a matter of fact, I don't th- I've ever heard anyone do it except for you. But on a, on a more third-dimensional level, there it is still important for all of us to be able to track energy because sometimes, um, you know, they say what goes around comes around. Well, sometimes when it comes back around, it has been either expanded or mutated in some way. When you get... Uh, uh, <laughs> I just picture somebody walking through the park and they just happen to be in in the right place at the wrong time. And the pigeon passes overhead and, and, you know, squirts on them. And and people's like, well, why did that happen? And if you can track it, you know, tracking what goes around comes around. A lot of times things that happen in our lives are a consequence of something that we might have put into motion a long time ago. And it's coming back around, and and it, it comes in the side door, and a lot of people never really um, put it together that this was the culmination of uh, cause and action, cause and effect. Well, yeah, yeah, but you can't you can't um, understand that if you can't track right the cause to the effect, and see all the things that happened along the way. There's a lot of different levels of tracking, and and on a on a day-to-day level, it's just really important to to use your energy in in full consciousness, and you know realizing what your words are, how they're affecting other people, because sometimes you can you can say something and you didn't mean anything by it, uh, you know negative but it goes out it grows it gets distorted and it comes back around and hits you in the side of the head and you wonder well what did i what did i do how did that happen and uh that's where tracking is is really um i think helpful in addition to tracking planetary energies because sometimes we think that you've had a day when you get all the red lights and everybody is is cross with you and and you come home and she's like geez oh man what was that all about that's when for me um, retroactive tracking has taught me so much because I have learned over the years about the various um, energies like 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 notes like keys of songs. And when I have a day like that, I was like, man, that sure did smell like a Mars transit to me. And I'll go and I'll I'll check my my transits and see if there is some interaction between either my natal Mars or um, transiting Mars affecting something in my chart. And every single time, every single time, there's been a correlation. So that can really help us in, in tracking transit daily kind of energies in understanding what you own and what you don't own and it saves you from beating yourself up a whole lot and trying to read things into things that happen when it was just a Mars transit you know it's gone in a couple of days and and that was that so tracking your transits uh, there's another type of tracking that I think is really really valuable Uh, we've already talked about activation, and I've also heard you use the term auric field. Can you just give us a quick definition of that?
3: Yes, um, I'm finding out that these 25, 26, 27 degree planets, when they get in your DNA and they're activated, they kind of spin into some kind of electromagnetic field that presents itself in an auric field around the body. And it can go from like six to nine feet out um, or, or larger. And and when these are activated, you're, you're walking through crowds of people and people are walking past you. And it's like you're activating their blood, you're activating their um, latent DNA. Um, it, it's like once you become fully activated in your starseed codes you'll be activating other people and you and you won't have to say a word. you can just walk through their their energy field. Uh, the person at the grocery store at the gas station or is sitting at the airport you're activating people everywhere you go and this this is the real term of a light worker okay this is a light worker that's totally activated and out there like Johnny Appleseed. Uh, going through life, probably not knowing what they're doing, <laughs> just being happy and singing and and and, and going through life in a in pleasant fashion, but at the same time, probably activating thousands and thousands of people in their life, and they don't even know it. So when I do a chart and I find this, I tell the person, you've been an activator all your life. And when I first see it, I first see it at that moment of birth, And there's a configuration that I look for, and when I see this, I go, wow. Then I ask them, I said, did your mother um, have brain problems after you were born? Did she go into depression, or did she turn on you at an early age? And the reason I say this is because the person that has this particular marking in their chart, when they come through the birth canal, it's like they gather up the last ounce of of energy from the womb space it's like they go up and and lick the bowl clean
2: okay <laughs> as
3: they're as they're coming out and and the mother she goes oh you took something from me wait a minute i didn't want you to have that <laughs> okay i'm yeah. kind of exaggerating here but that's kind of and so the person comes out, and then they have this golden ray about them. They p- become the prodigal child. They become the beloved or whatever. And all the rest of the family gangs up on them later in life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, that, that can certainly happen. And
3: that's, and that's because this 25, 26, 27 degree is activated in the bloodline with the mother, who has probably had a very strong bloodline that's being passed to begin with because that's why the soul chose the mother in the first place. So it's a, it's a, a very um, mathematical equation that happens at the moment of birth uh, with harmonics, frequencies, bloodline, astrological timing, and, and just simple delivery of light. Delivery of light.
2: Wow and there are i mean there are other other markings for those kind of activator oh yeah um, secret agent types and yeah. you know that really so many starseeds have this feeling it's like i'm supposed to be doing something i've got a mission and and they can't they can't remember it because for probably a majority of starseeds the mission is just to be here and to be walking among the population and, and and turning people's lights on. That's right.
3: Or holding steady, staying in alignment, being the observer instead of the participant. And, and here's the other thing I want to say, just because your friends are doing it doesn't mean you need to do it. It's like, find out what has your name on it. If it doesn't have your name on it, don't do it say, let this cup pass my lips. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to look through another person's eyes and see what they're going through and go, wow. I see, what you're, I see the experience you're having, and I, I, I get it, and once you get it, then that means that you don't have to have that kind of experience because you say, I let this cup pass my lips. If you'll let another person's experience teach you, then that means you don't have to do it, but you have to have the consciousness to even have that kind of thought.
2: True, true. So, why did you coin the term "star seed?
3: I don't know why I did it, but I, I know that I, I did it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me rephrase that when you I, I believe that at one time you told me because you had read a book about star people,
3: yeah, star people,
2: and you said that's not quite right.:
3: well, I just I just remembered you know saying it's star, it's a seed, it's a seed of the stars. And and so I just came up with the term Starseed and that was back, oh, that was back I guess in 1980 when I came up with that, 79 or 80. It was it's in the very beginning of of of, of my work that I came up with that that particular um, phrase,
2: and now I look at you know millions of people on the planet. Use that term. Yes. So and it all tracks back to that moment with you. Yeah. So, you have uh, already released masterful definitions of the various kinds of walk-ins, and people can go back in our archives to get the full um, description of that, but there's a new one that you call a drop-by. Now, how does that work?
3: Well, in the past uh, couple of years, um, I've been noticing that there will be energies that will come and sit in my pineal, my other pineal. And they'll be there for like 10 minutes, or maybe they'll be there for a whole session. Um, and I call them drop-bys because once, once they drop in and say whatever they're going to say, and then they leave, um, and I might not ever have that particular drop-by again because it'll be for that person. It'll be that person's guide or energy or something that, that someone has designated for, for that person to know about and it just it just comes like a um a drop it just drops in and then it just leaves and sometimes when it leaves it will do such an eraser that sometimes i don't even remember talking to the person sometimes when they leave abruptly or as they're as they're leaving my consciousness it seems to be like a a zip zap gone <laughs> and then i go woo. What was that? And then, then it's hard for me to replay what just happened. If it's not recorded for me to hear it, then I don't have it.
2: Right, right. And now, for someone like me who uh, does not have a double pineal, I mean, there are times when I know that. I mean, I can feel um, a sense of of energy or light, especially you know, when I'm tuning into a particular chart or even just doing some other kind of um, work besides the the charts and I just, I'm going to write something and the words just flow and, and that's, you can have a drop by even yes. if you don't have a double oh, pineal, yeah. can't you? Yeah, absolutely,
3: yeah. absolutely. And now I'm noticing that we have something that's been placed in our bodies well, at birth, actually, and it and it wasn't activated till probably after 2012, and I call it the G, the galactic GPS system that's in our head. It's like there's a lot of, of beings that have these crystalline quartz, amethyst, titanium structures that have been placed in our bodies that will grow and 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 rise up and and start being activated, and it's because we're beeping like beep 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 and then you're beep beeping and then our beep beeps come together and and they're signals it's like when when they when the projects start expanding from the ship they'll be uh, guide helping to guide people on the planet and it's because of these GPS galactic GPS locators in people's heads that are beeping so that they can find one another I'm probably not saying it the way I'm seeing it
2: no, I, but I think that's galactic GPS and, and the, the homing signal. It's a very, um, yeah, it's a homing yeah. signal. Yeah, it's a homing signal that sure can be activated with the push of a button. And when um, I mean, we're talking about very advanced technology and it's, it's a fail safe and it helps to keep people on, on track in, um, in in pursuit of their mission or their purpose here. So how would how would a person know or does a person always know if they have hosted a a walk in or a drop by
3: Not not many people will be that conscious to say oh I just had a drop by or oh I just had a walk in sometimes they'll go gee that wasn't that strange how did I know that And 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 they won't take it any further they won't go well how did I know I I knew that but I it's like they don't track beyond what just happened to them. They won't take it to its next level. They'll just think that, oh, that was a strange thing. Wasn't that strange? Or or they won't give it the credence that, that it should be given.
2: And as I said, you, you covered walk-ins in great depth and, and detail in a past episode. But I've, I've just had some people say, like, I think I'm a walk-in. How can you tell? And I I thought, well, number one, you have to have the you have to have the frequencies in your in your DNA, in your blood, in your in your soul records. You have to have, as you use the the analogy about uh, like a car, you've got to have the power windows and the power brakes and the GPS built in and all of these you know really loaded kind of car. That would be a prerequisite, wouldn't it?
3: Well, if you have to ask, you're probably not. Okay, it's like most walk-ins, when presented with a, with the concept of of a walk-in, they'll either know immediately, "Oh yeah, I'm one of those," or "No, I'm not." I, there's something instant that happens when a when um, a metaphysical person. Usually, it's a metaphysical person that walk-ins happen with because they have a basic understanding you know, in the, in, mm-hmm. in the, in the brain. But to, to wake up and go, oh, everything's different today. Or maybe you'll look at your spouse and go, you know what, I don't want to be married anymore. Or I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to travel. Um, usually, when a walk-in comes, they, they will come for two or three years in the situation of job and family. And then one day, after that, uh, that period of time is over, is when they make their drastic change. But most walk-ins, after a period of time, will say, I know, I know that I, uh, I'm taking an assignment uh, through another body. Most of those things start happening after a while.
2: Right, but they do have to finish up some right. you know, unfinished business and, and then gradually right. the, the shifts happen.
3: And most of them are timed to certain world events, or certain like the timing of August twentieth of nineteen eighty-seven, or, or or things that were monumental in our bloodline tracking. It's like the Pleiadian alignments for like from May fifteenth to twentieth, or November fifteenth to the twentieth. We know that those are the times when we get upgrades, when we get instructions from uh, space beings, from ETs, from angelic forces. You know, those of us that have been uh, involved with Pleiadian lineup for many, many years, we can we can testify and see what happens to the people on the planet uh, right after these dates happen. Uh, th- this is a a tracking that I've been doing for for over thirty years.
2: Right, and again, tracking is like observing the clues and putting together the puzzle, right, and making sure that the clues are all you know accurate. Right, but was was there was a time, um, and I, I haven't quite got the chronology in my head, when you had to go to Cairo every night.
3: Yes, it was. When was that? that it was. In, let's see. That was nineteen. Let's see, eighty-one, and um, there was a a girl named Elizabeth Ficus that was going to Cairo, Egypt, and I had a whole bunch of quartz crystals to send uh, with her. I was told that she was to take them and to do certain things with them there. And I, ha- I had no idea, though, when I gave them to her that I would actually be picked up uh, on the island of Catalina <laughs> by by ship and and taken inside the Great Pyramid of Giza uh, for these different uh, initiation um that were going on with the Crystal Brotherhood, and these were the meetings that I was privy to uh, in 1981, and, um, and that information of things that happened uh, have not been released by me yet. That's other things that will be released later on.
2: How long did this go on?
3: This went on from November 9th when it started. And it ended on the thirtieth of no, no, on the um, on the twenty ninth of November. It ended the day that Natalie Wood
2: died. So every night you had to be home, and and they just came and beamed you up, took you to Cairo, right. you did your thing, and they brought you back, right. and then you woke up in the morning back in your bed in Catalina. That's right. That's and right. how did you handle how did you handle that?
3: I um. It was it was a little difficult because again, I was uh, at that time I could only tell two people what was happening. I couldn't tell anybody else, and it was Belva, and then Thurman. And so I, my nervous system went through quite a, a jolt. I uh, I got some kidney stones. I started bleeding. I got high fever. Uh, A lot of physical things started happening to me, on the 29th of November.
2: That was a big momentous day in your in your history right for all the things that have happened that year
3: and and you know they make mistakes believe it or not like oops we've probably kept her too long oops we you know we're gonna have to correct look you know we we did this to her now look that didn't work it's like and i know that you don't like for me to use the term experiment but i was an experiment they would experiment on me all the time and they'd go okay that worked okay that didn't work okay she's gonna have to go to bed now for a week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and you and you'd think that they would know better but they don't
2: <laughs> well it's never been done before so how that's, you right. know uh, that's right and they're and they're probably aware of the i don't know thousands of possible outcomes in in various universes and realities but so they're what they're about the pleiadians are about 3500 years ahead of us in, in, in technology yes technology right. and and spiritual development as well that's right so you had you just mentioned a bit ago about the Crystal Brotherhood and you had a whole year of mastership training with the Crystal Brotherhood is that correct
3: well it, it wasn't just the Crystal Brotherhood there was a, there was a year that I was literally taken off the planet. And my, my clone came down to be here that one year while I was gone. And in that one year, it w- was the training that I had with the Crystal Brotherhood and the different aspects of things that I was to bring back to the planet later on in my life. Again, those are things that are, that are in the vault and not to be released yet.
2: Right, right, so aren't there, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of starseeds on the planet actually do have clones for emergencies and absolutely special operations and things like that. so uh, no one really knew that it wasn't really you. that's right because that's right she she had a what a copy of all of your knowledge and memories and that's right uh, that's right, knew everything that you knew, yep. God, that just kind of warps my brain out. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, that's where
3: I came up with, is it real or is it Memorex? Because I realized that we had a lot of Memorex walking around on the planet.
2: <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that
3: people just didn't know that they were clones. I mean, most of our major um, leaders in the world are cloned. And they will switch them out at different times. And that's been something that I have been tracking for a very long time about the different clones and walk-ins. How about a clone with a walk-in? if you think that's not a combination.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Oh my gosh. If you
3: don't want to take me there today
2: No, no. So I know we've had we've had some invisibility demonstrations a particular um, one just a few years ago. but how do people do, do they really become invisible or are they just unperceptible or imperceptible to, other 3D humans?
3: Well, there's, there's two ways of looking at that. Like when they come to take me out of my bed, and it, I won't go through the wall, actually what they do is they, they put a, an energy down that goes through the wall, it's a change of a dimensional frequency, and they'll put me, it's like a tube, and they'll put me in the tube and they'll shoot me straight to the next place wherever it is I'm going and in two or three seconds I'm there.
2: People whose frequency gets so high that they actually start to phase out of the third dimension, and they they seem to be invisible to other people. It's like a dog whistle. Well,
0: but
3: there's a bend of light that can happen around, like a group, like the group that we had um, that disappeared in front of the driver. It it's his con their consciousness had come together uh, in mass to where their vibration was higher than what he could see and therefore he couldn't see them
2: like a dog whistle that, right. that he couldn't hear right it is a matter of of physics and science rather than right uh, right supernatural kind of right. you know voodoo stuff
0: yeah
2: yeah so one of your assignments was to train Shirley McLean in galactic discernment and I know your journals about the years you spent with her are yet to be released, but can you mention a, a couple high points or low points?
3: I don't think I want to go there.
2: Okay. Well, next I want to talk about something that is very current and timely because, as most of our listeners have already learned, twice a year there are huge galactic meetings at the Tetons, uh, the first week of January and the first week of July. So can you tell us anything about the Teton meetings? So you can, like general information about what they are, who shows up, and if you have any, it may be a little soon to release anything about the current meetings, but tell me what that's about.
3: Well, it was designed many, many years ago to bring bloodlines and consciousness together so that there would be an ebb and flow that would be happening on the planet that would have to do with law and the lack of it. And it had to do with Ben and the Boys, a lot of it. I, I say Ben and the Boys because mostly the the meetings that would take place every six months, even back when the Declaration of Independence was being pinned, it was because of those meetings in the Tetons that they were able to get their head on straight on what they needed to do when they came back from the meetings. So, it it would take many, many bloodlines and galactic beings to come and fuse the future in a, a systematic way that would be the ebb and flow of people's cause and effect and also how they would go forward with technology, with community relationships, how to get along, how to take care of the planet, uh, trees, water, space travel, everything would be in its own time. So a lot of beings from different places chose to come and be of assistance to their bloodlines and would be instructors, not to the point where they tell them what to do, or they wouldn't interfere and give them things that, would be ahead of their time. They wanted everyone to discover for themselves. It's all about free will and, and discovery. Or maybe they would say something like, be sure and, and keep that resource for later. I won't tell you what it's used for, but you, you may want to keep your hands on that for later. Just to give you the, the heads up on something important that you may be holding in your hand. I know one time they said, in, in your future, nickel will be very important the the you know nickel and so all these years i've been i've been looking to see what could be made out of nickel and a few years ago i did hear of something that a component that they used in some of these new technologies where nickel is being used so i thought hmm it took you know what 25 years for nickel to actually make it on my radar screen
2: wow <laughs> yeah.
3: so and, and they, now they have given us all of the formulas for curing cancer. That's already happened on the planet. It's the people and the, the big corporations and the pharmaceuticals that are keeping the truth from the people. They helped us with, with a lot of our, our ailments and diseases uh, many, many years ago. But they gave it to us in a way that we were discovering it ourselves and not giving it to us as a gift saying, okay, here's the gift, you you go use it. They would actually make you work for it in some way. It's like they send down a beam of energy to a thousand. A hundred, pick it up. Ten, run with it. But only one gets to do it. That's the formula from there. So inside the Tetons there's a gigantic cavern and in the center is this emerald computer, that's what I call it. And when a being is taken, your soul is taken out of your body and there is an energy placed in your body as to keep everything going naturally, everyone's asleep in your house. They will not wake up while you're gone. You'll be gone for about 45 minutes. You will, they'll take you and put you through the Emerald Computer. Your holographically will form and people will get to see you and you'll get to see others in their holographic form. And whoever is bringing the information for that 45 minutes will, they'll either talk about the wars on the planet, they'll talk about medical things or relationships or bloodline, whatever it is that the person needs to know about. They'll infuse that information into them, then they'll bring them back to their their bed. And just before they wake up, there'll be little shots that will happen probably on top of their thumbs. And when you wake up, you'll look and see little red dots. And if you have little red dots, then you know that you've probably been to these meetings. And the reason that you're not to remember is because it would be so shocking. It would be so hard to function after you come back and after you see what, what is there. Because a lot of beings are not humanoid. I would say, though, that probably 60 to 70 percent of them are but there are some beings that are pretty scary looking. So once you get past the Fre- Freddy Krueger stage of your sight,
2: <laughs> Great. Well, I'm thinking of that bar scene in Star Wars. Yeah, Exactly.
3: Exactly. Where do you, th- and where do you think that thought came from for him to write that? <laughs> it, came, right. it came from the inside of the Teton meetings.
2: And tell us about the beings that conduct, host, orchestrate, lead, the meetings, that-
3: different ship commanders. There's different ship commanders that take turns. Um, but Saint Germain, in all of his different, he has different names for different times. But I'll just call him Saint Germain for now. He was the really the one that instigated how the meetings should be coming together, and 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 then planned about two hundred years in advance before the Declaration of Independence was ever written. In fact, um, things got so close in heated discussions when they were signing the Declaration of Independence. I mean, some men got up and said, I'm not signing this, and would sit down and fold their arms. And for for days this went on. It took a long time for everybody to put their signature down. The final nail that happened was when all the doors were locked, and no one could leave, and there was this booming voice from the back, that rose up and it was Saint-Germain, he completely apported himself into the room, made this passionate speech, everybody reached for their pens and signed and when they turned around he was gone.
2: (laughs) You know what, after all these years I just now put it together that July 4th is in the middle of the Teton meetings. That's right. Duh. Duh. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm and from within the archives i'm just going to repeat this because like i said we have so much in the archives that it could get lost there are according to what you said before every 45 minutes another 144,000 star seeds are transported inside the Tetons Mm -hmm. and in there time exists in a different plane so in inside the Tetons it's two weeks is that correct
3: right 45 minutes of our time time is two weeks there
2: and in that two weeks you get downloads you get upgrades you get assignments get help um, I mean a whole myriad of things but I remember when I when I first heard that, I got out the calculator and I did some math and it came up to like thirty six million souls that go through there. Right. Each each time. And and I'm kind of thinking that there are probably more star seeds than that on the planet.
3: There are. And and there'll be some years that you don't go where others will go in your place. It's like you won't go every year. I'll go every year, I'll go every year of course, but, but I'm saying most, most people that will, maybe they'll just go once in their lifetime or maybe twice. You, you never know exactly how many times that you'll, it depends on who you are and what area of expertise and how many people you'll be responsible for waking up in your life. It depends on your records, it depends on your assignment. It's not the same for everyone
2: if you're in a, in a position to influence larger numbers of people then then you'll be you'll
3: be going more often yeah
2: you'll probably be watched more carefully that's right so I know that you have actually you've been there in in holographic form but you've also been taken there physically
3: yeah in nineteen eighty six i was taken uh, take my physical awareness and my body and everything uh, I was taken inside. And they wanted to see how I would be able to handle that. I didn't handle it very well, actually. <laughs> um, you know, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, where's Dan Rather in the camera? Why isn't someone here filming this? And, of course, I was chastised for even having that thought. <laughs> but I did take take notes, and I was able to come back. And after that, that was a six-week Everything happened in six weeks. It wasn't a normal Teton meeting. It was when they all came to really wire up what needed to happen for so many people on the planet. So it was a six-week endeavor. And I was only inside that mountain for a, a couple of times. And then when I came out, my brain was like... um almost paralyzed. I couldn't think. I couldn't function. I remember Thurman, he took me to a racetrack and set me down, and I would just sit there and watch these horses run, and he'd ask me, you know, which horse, and I'd tell him, and he'd go make bets. We made lots of money, but I was not, I wasn't present. I couldn't be present because my mind was so blown that I couldn't, I could hardly talk or, or even take care of myself.
2: They're kind of dumbfounded
3: i was i was i was beyond i was beyond help <laughs> for, <laughs> for a couple of days but then i understood why you get those shots in your hands and this was like the second time that i had had say oh i want to remember please let me remember well um there was one time that, that i was aboard ship and we were we were working with a, the Falkland Islands and Ronald Reagan, and it was a very big energy move that was about to happen on the planet. I said, "Oh, I got to come back. I want to write about this. I, this is so important for me to write about." And they said, "No, take your shots. You don't need. No, you don't need to know, know this now. You don't need to write about this now. We'll tell you later when you can." I said, "No, no, I want to write about it now." I said, "Okay." And so, they brought me back, and there I was, just sitting on the edge of the bed going, blah, little little
2: little
3: And Thurman didn't know what to do with me, and there was a lady that was staying with us at the time, and thank God, because she had to do all the cooking and cleaning and taking care of me, and I couldn't, I, no words would form, I couldn't feed myself, I couldn't clothe, I couldn't do anything for 14 days. Then they came and fixed me, and then they said, now... Do you understand why you get your shots? And I said, yes. So now, every time I put my thumbs up and I go, shots please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So,
3: people that are curious, oh, well, I want to remember, no, you don't. You have no idea what you're asking for.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at the clock here and I've got about another hour's worth of questions so how about if we have this in part one and part two that's fine with me okay yeah that's great because there's no way that we can cover everything in uh, in the rest of the time that we have for the show so uh, when there's plenty plenty of questions left and some really good ones too so uh, I want to uh, take our time with that and we will come back the first week we don't have a guest with part two of conversations from Lavendar's Vault. So I really want to thank you so much for talking about things that such a wide range for all different levels from beginners to more advanced starseeds because we really just kinda want to give something for everyone to chew on and digest and help to empower starseeds, because that's really why we're all here.
3: And I want to keep it very simple. It's very simple about being here on the planet now. There's only two energies. There's up-spiral and there's down-spiral. When somebody brings you flowers, you know it, and when they bring you thorns, you know it. And it's it's about keeping your frequency in alignment with who you are, why you came to the planet, and how you can go forward with your creativity. So don't get caught up in good and bad and, and evil and, and all of that. Just stay true to when somebody uh, brings you something that you can use in your life, then appreciate it. And then when somebody tries to cancel you or disempower you in any way, just walk away from it. Don't get into polarity over it. Just go, hmm, that's not for me. My name's not on that. And just keep going. Just keep going. Because eventually, you'll come out on the other end, and you'll be happy that you did.
1: Wow, Lavendar, thank you so much for sharing this information with us. And that indeed was part one. And we actually did broadcast part two. So if you're interested in continuing, um, look back in our archives to uh, January or February of this year, and you'll find Conversations from Lavendar's Vault, part two. So on behalf of everyone here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Good night, everyone.
0: You've been listening
1: to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.